It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. The guest on today's show will be Eric Edholm, who covers the NFL Draft for Yahoo Sports. But first, I want to remind everybody, you can find the Giants Little Podcast on the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank, of course, with Big Blue Kickoff Live as well. You can find all of our podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, Big Blue Kickoff Live comes your way every weekday at noon. Mr. Dettino, good afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, John. It's great to see the sun out there. It's a little chilly, but that's okay. As long as there's no freezing rain and sleet coming down, we're going to be fine. Yes, absolutely. We'll talk more about that as we go along, I'm sure. But first, let's welcome our guest. He is Eric Edholm. He's usually one of our guests at the Combine, but unfortunately this year we have to do everything on remote, so he joins us on the phone today to talk some NFL draft. Eric, how are you, pal? Good to hear your voice. Uh yeah, it's good to be with you guys. I'll, I'll try to spice things up with some hot takes, maybe uh, crank up the heat a little bit, do my best, and uh, <laughs> I don't know, we'll reminisce over all the uh, indie food we're missing. Yes, uh, boy, I've been indie probably for more than a decade now doing these combines, yeah. and it is just it is just weird not having that constant inter... It was weird enough not traveling to do games this year, and now this is right. just... It, it cannot end soon enough, Eric, and I guess we'll start here, and I asked this question to Tony Pauline yesterday, and, and he basically gave me a, well, this ended up being a big dud because not a lot of players did it, and no teams were really there to see it because they're not allowed to be, but your information and reaction to the stuff Exos did over the weekend with their clients trying to replicate what is usually done at the NFL Combine. Right, yeah, I mean... You know, you want to call it unofficial or what have you. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously with an asterisk or whatnot. I mean, it's still good to see the athletes perform. It's you still want to get some kind of baseline athletic numbers on these guys, even if you know it's going to be hard to verify those numbers exactly. You can still learn a lot from watching some of those things. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate some of the creativity. I mean, there are players who are in better situations than other in this unusual off season where. You know, their schools are having pro days and everything's working out fine and they're going to be able to test and have people watch them do so. Uh, But there are some who obviously aren't in that type of situation. It's maybe less than than the other group, but still, I mean, it's it's always important um, to get as much information on these players. So I think think it's much appreciated. Have they published any of those numbers? I've seen a couple things kind of trickle out, but I haven't really seen anything out there. Is there some kind of master list somewhere that they put out there for what guys did? I'm working on that. Yeah, I haven't gotten the official numbers yet, but I'm, I'm calling my uh, my EXO sources and, and trying my best to uh, to procure those uh, those highly protected numbers. But yeah, I haven't seen a, a full list anywhere. Eric, we always understand that these kinds of things, especially since these pro days at the EXO's facilities were done in three different locations are going to have certain degrees of variation. And I know that there are some scouts who are looking at this with kind of squinty eyes saying, I don't know how much weight I really want to put into these numbers because chances are they're not going to be as pure as what we had in Indianapolis. From your perspective in talking to people around the league, how much weight is being given to what came out of this weekend? 
Yeah, only so much, I think. I mean, right, like you said, I mean, there's always, always the quote-unquote home field advantage, and you worry about whether things were, uh, you know, there was any kind of, uh, you know, number doctoring. I don't suspect that to happen. But, you know, I mean, scouts by nature, I think, are a little bit suspicious, right? They're going to question everything because it's their name on the report. You know, it's obviously a GM's name attached to a pick and, you know, all those sorts of things. So, you know, they're going to try their best to verify those numbers to make sure that, you know, that, that everything's accurate and, and lines up properly. You know, when you see things that are a little out of whack, you say, whoa, okay, hold on a second. There's going to be some doubling back on that stuff. But You mean kind of yeah, like Rashad I mean, yeah, Bateman running a four three nine something like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's fast. I don't know that he's that fast. Exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's one of the numbers that, I mean, you know, that's that's going to lead to some questions. Hey, what weight did Rashad Bateman play at last year? Because he looked a little heavier to me. I've got a pretty big grade on him. I might like him a little more than others, but that's I like a good example too. of. Yeah, no, I mean that's a good example of a player who, you know, the, the tape looks excellent. You wonder whether this past season he wasn't a little more sluggish than he had been in the past. Maybe not in, in pristine shape compared to the years past. So, you know, those are the things that can. Uh, that can maybe tilt things a little bit. It, last year was a good example, too. I mean, it's a little different setup, but um, Cameron Dantzler, the corner from Mississippi State, yep. I believe ran like a 4-6-3 or 4. I don't remember off the top of my head, but in the 4-6 is at the combine and then goes to his pro day and runs a 4-3-9. Which do you believe? I, I suspect the truth is somewhere in the middle of what his actual true speed is. I think he ran a, a poor 40 at the combine, and I think – that time can be questioned a little bit from his pro day. So that might be how how teams approach it a little bit. Well, Eric, I want to build on that a little bit because you mentioned Bateman. He was somebody that opted out and opted back in. Talking to some of these GMs and stuff around the league and scouts, how are they viewing these players that opted out or players that played a very limited schedule this year because of things completely out of their control? Is it an individual basis? Are teams a little bit more cautious with those guys? Do they just really want to put their eyes on them to see what they've been doing for the past? You know, boy, now we're up to, what, 14 months since they've seen them on a football field? Right. How, how are they treating that group of players? Yeah, I mean, I think we started to get some answers at the Senior Bowl. You know, there were a handful of players who, who fell into that category. You know, Quinn Miners, the, the D3 offensive lineman from Wisconsin-Whitewater, went up there and showed no rust. I mean, came right out and, and, you know, looked like a kid who belonged there, which is great. He made a jump in competition and having missed the season, looked like he was, you know, out at practice the day before. So that's an outstanding sign for him. Actually, I was just writing him up when you guys called, you know, and then there's somebody like Nico Collins, the wide receiver for Michigan, an opt-out player who, you know, it, it played at a high level of competition, but there were some questions about his productivity. Was it the fault of the, the, the coordinator? Was it the fault of the quarterback? Was it, you know, his own doing that, that led to him? Because he's got all the traits. He sort of reminded me How about the coach, Eric? How about the head coach? I'm not a big yeah, fan right, of him. Right, right. Oh, exactly. Right. Coach, coordinator. I mean, the whole staff, right? I mean, there's there plenty of talent there. Look at Donovan Peoples-Jones in Cleveland last year. He, you know, he played well at times. So, yeah, and you know, I think some of the, the opt-out guys were able to knock the rust off fairly quickly at the Senior Bowl. So, you know, it's not going to be every single case, but I think a lot of these guys have kept in pretty good shape. Some of the players like Tyler Shelvin, the big nose tackle out of LSU, what's his weight at now? That's a big question because he's had weight issues in the past. There were some rumors he was pushing, you know, up to the 380 range at one point. So, 
you know, all those cases are going to be treated individually, but it is interesting to me that guys like Caleb Farley, the corner from Virginia Tech, or Penny Sewell, the tackle from Oregon, Parsons, and a handful of others. Right? Parsons, yeah. yeah. They, their stocks haven't really changed all that much, whereas other players, there's been a little bit more volatility. So it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of operation, I think. Well, the one thing I think that we can all agree on, Eric, and I was looking at some of the copy that you've written up on Yahoo Sports over the course of the past month or so, it it seems very, very uh, strong feelings and and practically unanimous that wide receiver is just glowing with talent into this draft. We talked about last year's being terrific. Well, this year's class looks to be even better. One line that you wrote in, in one of your recent pieces of copy I thought was really interesting you said there figures to be some undrafted talent left over, prospects who might normally be taken in the first five or six rounds. Yeah. I mean, wow, that that is the most glowing. And I've heard everybody say it's a great class. Your comments are even more glowing than anyone else I have heard. This is really – this must be impressing you beyond belief. Yeah, the depth of the class certainly really stands out, and it might be even a little more top-heavy than last year. I mean, you know, you, you kind of stack up the top three guys, you know, CeeDee Lamb and, and Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs. I, you know, I would say this year's top three of Devontae Smith, Jalen White. Again, some people may differ, but let's just say that, you know, for the use of argument here, and uh, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Smith, uh, Chase, might be a better top three. And then to the to the question you just asked about the death of the class, I felt like last year's class was very, very strong at receiver, and it kind of fell off around round five, you know, when after, say, Darnell Mooney went to the Bears. Now, I mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones earlier. I think he was a sixth-round pick, so he would be one of the outliers. But still, there weren't as many undrafted wide receivers last year and maybe that had to do with the lockout not the lockout but the uh you know the the COVID situation but there weren't quite as many sixth seventh and undrafted free agent priority guys who who fared as well so it was very strong through about round five whereas this year I really think there's some you know some guys who may slip through the cracks that that you'd normally see go you know like a Jalen Darden from North Texas so he's, he's kind of this year's Darnell Mooney in the sense that he's about 169 pounds and is a blazer and really fast, but might he get lost in, in a class where guys are, are, you know, a little bigger than him, perhaps, uh, you know, a little bit more level of competition is a little more sturdy, that sort of thing. So I, I, I don't know when I was kind of stacking up a couple of weeks back, uh, last year's group and my grades and, and pre-draft grades, and then this year's pre-draft grades, it was just a little little stronger towards the end, too. So that, that really kind of caught my eye. Eric, is this going to be a pattern now? You know, two years ago when the wide receiver class wasn't considered great, I think maybe one wide receiver went at the back end of the first round in 2019, or maybe none actually right. went in yeah. the first round. Whatever it was, it wasn't a lot. But then you end up getting DK Metcalf in the second round, A.J. Brown in the second round, Debo Samuel in the second round. Okay, well, these guys are first-round wide receivers. Teams just didn't realize it when they picked them. So is this going to be the deal now where the way college offenses work and the way kids are training with seven-on-seven football and all that stuff, are we just going to see a steady stream of just wide receiver wave after wave every year? year refilling the ranks of the NFL I still think this two-year period last year and this year's draft classes they're probably going to be more outliers but I think you have a good point there which is 
you know, teams I think are now saying, let's put our best athletes. If, if they're on offense, they're going to be at receiver or quarterback probably. And, you know, maybe running back occasionally, obviously for the bigger guys, it's a different situation. But, yeah, I mean, these mismatched pieces that you want to get the ball in their hands as many times as possible. And you're right, the evolution of offenses now with the horizontal passing games and the quick strike stuff, I mean, you know, that obviously lends very well to those type of players. So I think receiver has moved up over the years in the positional hierarchy, if you will, where, you know, it used to be quarterback one, maybe left tackle at some point. But now I see the value teams place on cornerbacks, DBs in general, but corners certainly, and wide receivers. And, you know, that 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 would make sense. So I think from a positional standpoint – the importance has been raised. The athletes, the, the quality of players that are available in the draft, that's always going to dictate where people go. But, you know, it's also been raised as well. So, yeah, I mean, I just uh, I, I think those two things kind of combining forces, uh, that really leads to what we have in this year's class. Who knows what the next couple will look like, but I, I would say that we're sort of trending in that direction. You know, Eric, the one position that always gets a ton of publicity is the quarterback spot. And this year, it's relevant to the Giants because they pick at 11. And there yeah. are so many people who think that, you know, as many as three, four quarterbacks could go in the top 10, which pushes the other positions down to the Giants. So it is a relevant conversation for the Giants people to have. Now, I got to give you a standing ovation because. In your recent copy, you had quarterback as the fifth-rated position in this draft class, and that puts you and I in a very small minority because (laughs) everybody is in love with these guys, and I think it is one hell of an overrated bunch. I think Lawrence is awesome. He deserves to be the number one pick. But after that, I don't know in my mind that there is another true, bona fide, concrete first-round value amongst these quarterbacks. It's so hard for me to value that position and grade it. I mean, I always try to not think of, okay, my overall grades are going to look exactly how I think they're going to go off the board because that doesn't really tell us a whole lot, right? I mean, that's that's not a whole lot of analysis. I try to just grade the player, slap a grade on him, then later on sort them all out and say, wow, geez, I have Rondale Moore all the way down to this number. I have this guy up high. And that no more – you know, no other position does it apply at quarterback where there could be outliers. I mean, I Kyle Trask did not make my top 100 overall. You know, Davis Mills did not make my top 100. Could I see both being drafted in rounds two or three? Possibly. You know, so the need of the position almost always pushes those guys up. I, I think it's a better quarterback class than, than we've seen at times in the past, and it does sort of remind me a little bit of the 2018 class where you had Baker and Darnold and Rosen and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. So it could end up being very good. But we're kind of crossing our fingers and and hoping against hope that, you know, Trey Lance's development is going to be on the right course after playing basically, you know, a a showcase game in the fall, and that's it. Uh, 17 starts at the FCS level. Do we know he's going to be great? No, of course not. Uh, Are his traits alluring? Absolutely. It just feels like more of a crapshoot this year. Zach Wilson, you know, really encouraging freshman year, injury plague second year, bonkers junior season this past year, but against lesser competition because they got, you know, Utah and Missouri and other teams taken off their schedule. So 
you know, it, it's like kind of spinning plates here and trying to figure out how much stock do you put into what traits and you know, how much do we count against the fact that maybe they didn't have the, the full display of games this year. You know, Justin Fields' smaller schedule had some brilliant performances. Turn on the Clemson tape and you'll, you'll see. But again, Michigan State, not so great. Indiana, not so great. Northwestern, not so great. It's just, there's just more questions this year. So did I hedge a little? Yeah, I did. But there's no doubt that if they all pan out the, the way that their ceiling suggests, it's special. Right now, I just I can't go that well, high. You, you know, Eric, I like to tell John all the time on the show, my, my favorite phrase is, for those guys, you're drafting a hell of a lot more on projection than you are production. Yes. Yep, that's it right there, I think. And, and this year feels like an even bigger projection than your typical draft cycle because of the, the obstacles we've faced over the last year plus. So, Eric, I'll ask this uh, as a two-part question. You can take it in any order you want. So when you look at that top ten, Giant fans are obviously hankering for a big-time offensive weapon or playmaker. So you mentioned those top three wide receivers already, Chase, Waddle, and Smith. I'm going to throw Kyle Pitts into the mix as well, the versatile tight end out of Florida. What order do you think those guys are going to drop off the board as a projection? How do you have them ranked? And which guy do you think would either be most likely to fall to the Giants and which guy would be the best fit? Yeah, no, it's a great question because, I mean, there's there's some disagreement on some of them just talking to people around the league. And then I have Kyle Pitts as of those, let's talk four guys that I think could, could be in play for that spot. Let's, let's say Chase, Waddle, Devontae Smith, plus Pitts. Yep. And just, you know, we can start there and branch out if we need to. But to me, if I'm just taking pure upside – I don't care what position you call him. Pitts has the highest feeling to me. I think he's a special, rare, I mean, just a, a specimen. And his production was outstanding this year. You know, he could beat corners off the line. You know, he got bracket coverage. I mean, he saw everything. They were throwing the kitchen sink at him. I mean, it, it helps to have, you know, Kadarius Tony and, and Teron Grimes and all these other players that, to, that they have to defend as well. But, the dude's a monster. I get from a Giants perspective why people might be, you know, slow playing that that position. You know, I mean, Evan Engram is a talented player. He had his share of drops. I know he made a Pro Bowl. I know some people might say, why would we invest in another tight end? To me, he's just an offensive weapon. I, I don't care what <laughs> position you call him. He well, Eric, I can tell you, by the way, you are preaching to the choir on this program, so you don't good, have to convince good. us. <laughs> we are all Thanks. in on him, man. He, he, yeah. He's that Barkley factor where he's just a weapon. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, you think about him and, and Saquon Barkley in the same offense and what you could do with that. You'd have some fun. But, uh, I mean, he is an option. And, I, and it's funny because – if we do get four or five quarterbacks in the top ten, that pushes somebody like Pitts to that range. Jalen Waddle is so electric and so special. You know, I suspect Chase will be gone by the time the Giants pick. So if they're not moving up, he's probably out of the mix. Waddle's an option. Devontae Smith's probably the most productive college-wide receiver season in history this past year. Uh, you know, and, and he – I mean, his size is going to be a concern for some teams, but boy, he, he plays with some, some intensity. He's so good at pulling away from people, even without that elite speed. He changes gears so well. Waddle, to me, is super electric, though. I have Smith as my third receiver. I have Chase one and Waddle very, very close to him. The injury obviously changed things a little bit this year. And then I have just a notch below those two, 
Devontae Smith. Would I hate it if the Giants took the took Smith at 11? No, I wouldn't. I think it would be a, a, a very respectable spot for him. Would I prefer Waddle if Pitts wasn't there? Yes, I would. How do you think the league sees it, Eric? Which guy, in your opinion, is the best chance to be there at 11? Is I, it Smith or yeah, Waddle? Yeah, I would say that the least likely would be Chase. Second least likely, that's a, that's a tough call. You know, it really is because, especially if there's movement, if there's trade activity in that top ten, it's harder to project. But I would guess Waddle second, and then, the you know, maybe Pitts third, Smith fourth, meaning Smith would be the most likely to be there. Pitts might still be there, although the idea of that is still crazy to me. I still think people get hung up on the tight end thing. I really do because, look, he gives good effort as a blocker. He can play in line, Mm -hmm. but he can also go in motion, line up in the slot, line up out wide. He just does so many different things. He's more DK Metcalf than he is, you know, or Travis Kelsey, that kind of player where you can do so much with him. Let me ask you something, Eric. You mentioned uh, Waddle's ankle injury, obviously, which really cost him a a great deal of the season. But we have not heard anything uh, progressing in terms of the information on the medical checks. The last I had heard is that sometime in April and maybe the first or second week, obviously the draft is coming up shortly after that, they do intend on having some type of generic, I don't want to say combine because it's not a combine, but a medical gathering so that these these teams are going to have an opportunity to get those exams to make some of their final decisions. What have you heard? What is the progress being made on those things? Yeah, and one of the big reasons why the combine was was canceled, or you know, or the initial version of it where we would be this week, whatever, but um, was because they were hosting the NCAA tournament there, and they didn't want the hospitals to be overwhelmed. They didn't want a, you know kind of a surge of, of people coming from all over the country and all that. And one of the unfortunate things that got eliminated was that medical information. I mean, that's why the reason the the combine was started in the first place, to get, you know, all 30 at that time, I think 30 or 31 teams, to get all their medical information uh, in one place at one time. And it's obviously grown into an event that's much larger than that. But you're right. That's a big, big concern for evaluators right now is getting – the checks on the players like Waddle who got hurt during the season or, you know, who have, you know, numerous injuries in their past. I mean, obviously, you know, even Zach Wilson had, uh, you know, shoulder mm-hmm. surgery before the 19th season and things like that. So, you know, th- those are crucial elements that I think are, are kind of holding up people's big picture draft plans at this point. I have heard those same rumors you did that they're, they're planning on having some sort of centralized thing where they can, uh, you know, bring in prospects or maybe trickle them in in pieces or something like that. I haven't heard the latest on that, but I do plan to kind of, you know, investigate and find out what the latest is on that. The other thing I heard that, you know, that they're going to try to figure out geographically where these prospects are, are located and try to get them in with the closest NFL team doctor to that spot. That mm. seems like a lot of planning and a lot of organization. I don't know if they can pull that off. So, it may be some sort of combination of the two things to get the full medical workups. Eric, it's odd. We haven't even mentioned, I don't think, a defensive prospect that could be an option for the Giants at 11. We talked about quarterbacks. Uh, you mentioned Penny Sewell already. Uh, we talked about the wide receivers, Kyle Pitts. When you look at the top of this class from a defensive standpoint, what are you looking at? Who do you think stands out, if anybody, that could be a good selection for the Giants at 11? 
Yeah, there's no Chase Young in this class. There's no, you know, Nick Bosa. There's nobody in the top five that I would feel great about picking. Um, as you get into the, the teens or so, that, that range past number 10 or so, there's a little more comfort level. And, and you know, I mean, there's cornerbacks that, are, that I think are being regarded in that, in, at that level where you say to yourself, okay, I can – you know, I can sign off on a Patrick Sertan going somewhere in that range. You don't or, sound very like, excited about it, though, Eric. I'm not going to Yeah, no, I'm just saying there's enough reservation this year. I mean, Micah Parsons is a phenomenal athlete, another opt-out guy. He's going to have to answer some character questions. I don't think it's anything too terribly concerning, but some teams may have pause with him on that regard. And there's no, in my mind, there's no single edge rusher in this year's group, and I know that's a spot the Giants could look at. Where you say to yourself, "Oh yeah, I mean, I can, I can easily see him going at, at the 11th spot." I'm not saying they couldn't take one there or that they shouldn't, but you have to ask yourself. You know, Aziz Ojolari, a young guy, undersized. Greg Rousseau, one-year production, opted out this past season. You know, he really only has about 550 snaps to his name. You know. Jalen Phillips, another guy with a kind of a circuitous route that went to UCLA and then ended up in Miami, finally had a good year this year, elite talent, but all, they're all kind of incomplete pictures in my mind. You know, they're, they're jigsaw puzzles that are missing about half the pieces, right? And I, some of them are going to work out. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but, you know, taking Jalen Phillips at 11 would, would scare the heck out of me, even though I have him as my number two edge in this class because I like him a lot but there's a buyer beware tag there no doubt Jason Oway from Penn State zero sacks last year but a ton of pressures what do we make of that you know that for me this is a very challenging group even though I fully recognize that we're going to look back in a couple of years, there are going to be two or three who clearly are head and shoulders above the rest. So, Eric, uh, just a quick follow-up, and this will be my final question, and then I'll let Paul ask whatever he's got left in his bag. But if you had to, and if you don't have this offhand, and I'm putting you on the spot, I apologize. If, I, if you had to give me your top five defensive players in this class, how would you rank it out? Yeah, I would probably have Parsons pretty close to the top just in terms of talent. I think he's special. And then some were all kind of lumped together. I would say Ojolari from Georgia. Again, he's an undersized rusher. He's 6'2", 245 pounds maybe. He's not going to fit every scheme. So you got to be – he's not going to be a perfect fit anyway. So you have to be comfortable projecting him there. But I like him a lot. I think he's somewhere in my top five. And then probably the three corners uh, would come next. Maybe Quiddy Pay, the, the rusher for Michigan, but – I, I gave very similar grades to Patrick Sertan from Alabama, Caleb Farley, who was an opt-out guy from Virginia Tech, and then J.C. Horn from South Carolina. I liked him a lot. I mean, his arms are flailing out there. He's got to you know, tighten up his technique. But the son of Joe Horn, I'm sure you guys have seen plenty about him, he just fascinates me. There's something about him that I really, really like, and I think he's going to end up being a very good pro. So that's probably my group of five or six or seven that I would whittle down and, and make my top five. And again, it's just not a super top heavy year for that, that elite defensive talent, I would say. Well, final question for me, Eric. And before I do that, let me just say you and I are twins because everything you have said, <laughs> we are exactly on the same page. And, and, Eric, right? and, and, and Eric, by the way, this I, is scary. I would not be very happy about the, that from your perspective because I deal with this guy every day and not sure that's where you want to be. Just saying. Well, and just a quick note I have twins, and my kids are totally different. So, I mean, we can be twins without actually being like 
virtual facsimiles of each other, right? That's, that's, that's a good fair. thing. Okay. <laughs> Uh, final question for me is is a little bit broader based, but it is a Giants-related question, and that is sure. we obviously know that the Giants have financial difficulties with the free agency of Tomlinson and Williams. We already can figure it's a lot harder to replace the edge guy in Williams. From what you see in the draft, A, could they get a guy who could fit the bill in Tomlinson's role if he should escape via free agency. And we're talking about having to go a couple of rounds in because, you know, they're clearly going to go for more of, a, of an impact guy high. And then B, same thing with the running back situation where Barkley is the only running back who is signed and they're going to have to get somebody knowing he's coming off of a very serious injury. Are they more apt in your mind to go into the third day of the draft and grab someone who can be his reserve, or are they better off trying to retain Wayne Goldman? Good question. Yeah, a lot to, to, to take in there. I mean, for the defensive line position, uh, you know, I, I have my questions at the top, but I think there's some okay depth to it. I mean, I, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of sort of guessing, but if we're talking about more of the nose tackle spot, Kind of the you know the the plugger the big guy like Dalvin Tomlinson you know who could who could occupy space up front. There's some guys who fit that mold. Whether it's Tyler Shelvin from LSU who I mentioned, mm-hmm. weight issues notwithstanding, Bobby Brown from Texas A&M. I wrote him up yesterday, and uh, you can the most latest uh, my my 100 through 96 list. He's in there. Um, uh, Kairis Tonga from BYU is another player I could see playing as a, a shade or something like that. Jordan the rugby Scott guy. From, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, the running back position is really interesting. I think if the top six or seven are pretty solid, and there's a little bit of a drop-off. So that's about how many typically go in day two. That That's what worries me is that if you let that position go too far, there's going to be a bit of a drop-off. Whereas I could see a couple of D-tackles – kind of lasting into day, early parts of day three that, that carries some, some solid value. So a little bit of a juggling act there. It, it, that's going to be a tough call. You, like you said, maybe there's a cheap veteran who can come in and, or, or Gallman and re-signing him. Running backs, I feel like you could find defensive tackles. Maybe a little bit harder to, to get one who, who fits your system and can, can, can handle the same role that, that you may need to replace. Eric, awesome stuff, my friend. Let's do it again one more time before the draft as we get closer and the rumors start flying. Tell the folks where they can find everything that you do. Yeah, Yahoo Sports. Check it out to our NFL page. You'll see my stuff up there. And uh, my Twitter is Eric with a C underscore Ed Holm, E-D-H-O-L-M. Eric, great stuff, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Be All well. All right, fellas. Have a great day. Awesome stuff. Eric's one of my favorites, Paul. He does a great job. Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports. And again, all these guys, you just see at Indianapolis. Every time I talk to one of these guys, we had Tony Pauline yesterday, Paul, I get depressed. I'm like, I know. this just stinks that we're not in Indianapolis. Oh, my goodness. Hey, but you know what, John? I, I will say this. It's funny. Uh, one of folks would not necessarily know this name, but Christine is uh, is one of the administrators in our broadcast department, and, and her and I were emailing yesterday kind of lamenting it, how funny it is we missed the combine in spite of the fact that usually we have to lug 5,000 pounds of equipment onto the plane to that and is, from. That is true, <laughs> and sadly, most of that equipment is now in my basement. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, you know, trust me, man. You should see us, folks. John and and, and myself, uh, and 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 sometimes it's uh, Madeline. Sometimes it's one of the other members of the crew, and we're just like bringing these huge, well, I put it heavy boxes through the airport. Just it's in, like in, oh. in terms of crew and talent, we probably bring what around usually eight or nine people, right? Give or yeah. take, maybe as many as ten. Well, between camera guys, audio yeah, sure. guys, yeah. sure. So around eight and ten people, and usually five or six people have to book three to four cases. So yes. just do the math. Yes, and they're it's not light. <laughs> the the oversized stickers are used with impunity. I will leave it at that. Wow. So anyway, yeah, that's we were laughing about that. I mean, you you know you you wouldn't have thunk it as we're we're going through those airport lobbies that you would ever miss it, but we do. No question about it, folks. Don't forget. That Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. Make sure to open a New York Giants checking uh, debit account presented by Investors Bank uh, for discounts at the Giants online shop, uh, a debit card, and security features. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. Giants season tickets, limited ones, are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Paul, you ready to do some calls? Let's go. 973-667-1960. Call, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? This is Coach Marvin from Delaware. Coach. Hey, Coach. How are you? What's up, buddy? Doing good. How are you guys doing? We're great. All good. Uh, that's good. Um, well, I was calling, going to call about a little bit about the draft, which I was just talking about. And y'all did a great job last week of breaking down different positions, um, on the team as far as the draft goes. Yeah, I did an outstanding job with that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, a month ago, it was about a month ago, I think it was uh, talking to you, John, and Lance, and I had mentioned um, Pitts as a tight end with the Giants and matching them up with Ingram because I think that would help Ingram um, improve more than he is. Um, that would be my first pick is uh, hopefully we could get Pitts. But Marvin, sadly, I do not think Kyle Pitts is going to make it to number 11. So I was just going to say that, John. I don't want to crush you or anything, but I'm no, sorry. <laughs> he loves to jab me, Coach. He's always trying to jab me to get me upset. Don't, don't be talking about Pitts anymore, okay? I, I am a realist, right. and that is how I operate. <laughs> and, and he's telling the truth that it's talked about so much now that people are talking about that Pitts now is probably the second-rated um, player on the board now. You know what, though, um, Coach? I think, by the, way, by the way, I think Daniel Jeremiah had him third. I think he had Lawrence first, uh, Jamar Chase second, and I think he had Kyle Pitts third on his. Paul, go ahead. Okay. Now, to be fair, though, as Eric Edholm from, uh, from Yahoo just told us, there is still somewhat of a stigma about, you know, you don't pick tight ends that high. And maybe, just maybe, that that wisdom or that prevailing thought from years ago might still be lingering around a little bit. That's the only hope the Giants have because if you strictly look at this kid's film, Pitts has got to be the guy that you want. Yeah, yeah but that's your fault, though, um, Paul. Yep, it you, is. You, we know that. When you turned over a few a couple, uh, last week, I think you started talking about Pitts, and I'm like, that's the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Him. 
Not I know. every NFL team is going to start endorsing Pitts. And, Coach, by the way, even worse, it's probably going to be like the Eagles that pick him. So it is just oh. going to be the worst possible thing for, for Paul. And you know what's even worse, Coach Marvin, is that there was uh, there was another guy on the tight end day that we did that they insisted, and John continued to pry too. They got my like top six tight ends, which means right. if they don't get pits, one of my other guys is going to get stolen. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But 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 John just made my heart drop when he said that statement about the Eagles taking pits. Oh uh, God, Coach, that's a fight I don't want to see. Always yeah. assume the worst, oh. my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Uh, my second pick that I like, Paul asked me the question, would I take Smith over Waddle? That was about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I said Waddle. And now I'm starting to hear everybody's talking about Waddle and his talent. He is electrifying. Um, but at 11, if those guys are gone, I got a surprise pick that. And they've been, and John, you did an interview, I think, uh, yesterday. I think I heard it yesterday. They were talking about the corners. And I had thought about this guy about two or three weeks ago. It's J.C. Horn out of the three corners. Yeah, he's good. Um, I like him. They're talented guys, Those all three of those guys. And uh, Farley, I love Farley. And um, But something about J.C. Horn, the way he plays, what you want in a player is confidence. He has the talent, but he has the confidence that comes with it. Um, they, the term they use, swag, however you want to say it. Yeah, and coach, this and the reason, by the way, why I like, why I think you're absolutely right, and and then you can please continue. He follows the best player, so he's outside covering six foot four guys. He's inside right. covering five foot ten speedsters. He doesn't care. He'll line up on any type of receiver, press them, cover a man to man, and he does a real nice job. So I'm with you 100 percent on that. Right, and, and your key word in that statement, John, he does not care. And and that's the type of player you want on your team, someone that takes on those challenges and don't care who that person he's challenging against. And uh, and I love that about him. And and he got the background, his father playing, and that, that helped him. So he's been groomed through the years, probably watched film as a kid um, with his dad. We don't know, but <laughs> it's possible. It oh, is really depressing God. that we have all these guys whose like fathers played when like we were Paul like old like Asante Samuel's kids in the draft, Patrick right. Sertan's kids mm-hmm. in the draft. I'm like, you right. gotta be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. And um, and my um, diamond in the rough, I'm stick. I'm gonna stick with him. You know, I always gotta come up with somebody. Is still Ferguson uh, at uh, Wisconsin? Jake Ferguson, the tight end at Wisconsin. Those are my guys that I would hope we have a shot at. Um, if we don't get them, uh, the team's going to do what's best. But that's yeah. But coach Fer- Ferguson's going back to school. I think either you or somebody else mentioned him to me a couple of weeks or maybe last right. week, and he's going yeah. back. So you can't oh. get him. Okay, I didn't know he was going back. I, I, I did do some research on him, and I didn't see his name on anything. So maybe that's why I haven't seen his name. Yeah, um, we can't get him. Okay. All right, but uh, maybe I have to look around to see who else is sitting out there. But that was like a fourth-round, somewhere around a fourth-round pick. I was hoping that he could sit there. But uh, but thanks, guys. You guys uh, do a good job, and uh, it's good talking to you. Thank you, Coach. All right, guys. Always good to hear from Coach Marvin. Yeah. Hey, John, one other thing. I, I don't want to go any further than this. I don't know if you guys got to mention the passing of John Mendenhall yesterday. Oh, uh, we did not, actually. Yeah. And, you know, in just 
talking about feeling old, okay, John Mendenhall absolutely uh, dominated the the NFC defensively. The Giants had a great defensive team during the course of the 70s, but their offense was just really just like smelled as bad as rotten cheese, okay? And so as a result, a lot of times those two great players on the Giants units didn't get the credit that they deserved. Now, only in the latter years of the 70s did Harry Carson and Brad Van Pelt, you know, start getting named to Pro Bowls. But they would always say, well, that's enough for the Giants. They can't possibly have any more. And so guys like Jack Gregory only got to go to one. John Mendenhall never got to go to one. He was like a top five or top ten pick, right, Mendenhall, if I remember Mendenhall right? was a third-round oh, choice third out of Grambling in 72. Him? I'm confusing you with somebody else. My that's all right. No, that's all right. You're probably thinking about Troy Archer. Maybe. Um, Troy, who was killed in a Jeep accident in Guttenberg, New Jersey. I remember that when it happened. It, you know, oh, that was just horrible. Because he, Troy was an all-rookie selection, as was Mendenhall some years earlier. The point being this, we, we certainly send all of our condolences to friends, family, and teammates of John Mendenhall because he truly was one of the great giants during a very, very dim period in the team's history. I mean, they only had one winning record. That's when they were 8-6 and six and 72 during his rookie season when he was all NFL rookie pick. I just want to mention this, John, because for people who don't understand, Mendenhall was only 6'1", 255, and he played defensive tackle in the Giants 4-3 until his last year when they converted to a 3-4, and he was the nose tackle in a 3-4. This guy was short and stout like a fire hydrant, he could get up and down the line. He was as strong as an ox. I mean, his pursuit and chase ability was off the charts. He always got pressure in the pocket. He was able to sack quarterbacks. I put up a, a number today. I wanted people to understand this because a lot of folks who really look at the Pro Bowl listings and say, well, he wasn't in there. I just explained to you why. Think of these sack numbers, okay? As a rookie in 14 games in 1972, he had six. The following season, because of injuries, he played in eight games. He had six sacks. In 1974, 13 games played, 11 sacks. The Giants don't have official records or their unofficial team records in 75 and 76. But in 77, 12 sacks in 14 games for a defensive tackle. And then had five in 1978 and 16 games. And in 79, his last season with the Giants, the sack numbers were unavailable. Subsequently, he was one of those guys who had had enough of losing. Uh, he had, you know, economic issues, wanted a better contract. Also was just so upset with the team not turning things around. He was one of those guys who eventually became a, a grumble monster and wound up getting released and played his last year after he signed with the Detroit Lions. I just wanted to mention that. It's important we give him a few minutes because for anybody who was around the New York Giants during the 1970s, John Mendenhall was a beacon of light. He was a hell of a football player. Good call, Paul. I'm happy you did that. 973-667-1960. Hey, Giant fans, uh, do you want to become a Giant sweet partner? Well, listen up. This is how you do it. If my phone will open up. There we go. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Cole, you're on the line. What is your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, it's Charlie from Portland, Maine. What's up, How Chuckles? How are you? Hey, Charlie. Hey, Paul. Yeah, 
Thank you for that, Paul, because I remember him. He was uh, he was probably one of the, he was probably the best player on the Giants team in those or, or those seventies. He was right uh, up there. He was uh, right up he, there. He was was Spider Lockhart. Was he there too with him? Yeah, Spider's last year was seventy five. Mendenhall yeah. started in seventy two. The funny part is, yeah. in seventy two, the Giants made the trade to get Jack Gregory from the Cleveland right. Browns. And yeah. they drafted Mendenhall in the third round out of Grambling. So all of a sudden, they had Mendenhall and Gregory on their front four. Gregory had 21 sacks that year. And nobody counts it because Elias wasn't keeping track. But he had 21 sacks and was all pro. Mendenhall had six, was all rookie. And those two guys together were very formidable for the rest of uh, rest of the decade until, again, Mendenhall wound up going to Detroit. Gregory got older. Uh, they drafted Gary Jeter, and then yep, uh, Gregory yep. demanded a trade back to Cleveland, and the Giants sent him back to the Browns. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Spider Lockhart was one of those uh, also. He was incredible. That Spider, guy, Spider was like a four-time All-Pro or, or four-time uh, I mean, Pro Bowl pick, I believe. Like, talk about being like 160. I mean, he. but that guy could tackle. He could yeah. tackle anybody. He could tackle Jim Brown. He could oh, he tackle like a truck. whoever. Yeah, he yeah, was a small, I mean, he was, wiry guy. That's why they called him Spider, because he was lanky and small. And, and the big, people couldn't understand why he was so uh, incredible as a hitter. But he just gave up his body on every play. He would just, yeah, like a missile, yeah. he'd come in on guys. And, yeah, he was, he was awesome. He was special. He was yeah, special. he was. He was. Hey, well, look, if, if, if this guy pits, you know, you're talking about him, Paul. Everybody's talking about him. this guy is like super special. This guy's incredible. He's a weapon. Why don't we move up and get him? I mean, why should we just sit there and hope? And John's saying he ain't going to be there. Why should we just sit back? I mean, if they have him number one on their board over the other, you know, wide receivers, why wouldn't you go up? Three or four I'll tell you why, Charlie. It's an easy answer. Yeah. And then, I, and then I, I want John to answer a question for me, but I'm going to answer yours first. And okay. that is, if everybody seems to believe that there are four dynamic offensive skill position threats, that is Pitts and the three wide receivers, well, if Pitts is gone, you figure you probably have a real shot to get one of the three receivers at 11. The drop-off isn't immense, is Paul's no. point. No, because there's four impact guys, okay? So for you to pay the kind of capital that it's going to require to move up a few spots to get pits, it's not worth it. So that would be my answer to you, Charlie. And, John, my question to you is, you've clearly determined that pits won't be there. Where where does he land? How how high do you have to go if you wanted to trade? I think, oh boy, if if you want to make sure you get him, let me bring up the draft order here. Hold on, I really should print that out and have that on my table here, so I have it all the time. Um, if I wanted to make sure that I got Kyle Pitts, I would have to move up to. Five, I would want to be above the sixth spot. I don't think he'll go before number six. I guess it's possible Atlanta picks him at four. I guess, but I'd say unlikely. I would feel I I would be worried about Pitts going between six, seven, eight, nine. That's my worry with Pitts. 
because I think that's fair. I think although I, I, I Detroit's think, got Hankinson, I, or Hawkinson. Hawkinson. Yeah, yeah. But remember, Detroit might trade out of that spot too. They could. So I would be worried from six to nine, and the Broncos have Fant. So that's another team that might not pick him. Um, I think one receiver will go above Pitts, and I think that's probably going to be you now. Would Chase my, is the first receiver, John. You and I both know that. Would, would Miami pick Pitts over Chase? I don't no. think so. And I think a big thing is, too, is whether the, whether the Jets take a quarterback. If the Jets don't take a quarterback, then I think they're probably taking one of those playmakers, right? So yeah. I think, uh, look, and, 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 and here's my point. If he it's goes, hard, Charlie. It's he, hard. No, here's my point. If he goes two or three, you don't have a shot at him anyway, right? If right. he's going two or three, you, you might as well not even try. You don't have a shot. Right. So if right. – if, I would, but here's the thing, Cincinnati ain't moving. You know they want that. They either want Penny Sewell or one of those playmakers too, because they want to help Joe Burrow. So the only team that I think that, I mean, do you want to trade all the way up to three or four with Miami or Atlanta? That's a high price to pay, and it's to me too high of a price. To well, pay. see, that's and that's the issue, Charlie. All right. So yeah, to make John gonna... confident that you're going to get him, you got to go way up, and you it you know you're going to give up two Jaguars and a Mercedes Benz. Well, don't you think that Burroughs the Jaguars are Cincinnati picking first? Would want, would want <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> That's you good. Think it was a bad lot. Don't to do. you think? Don't you think Cincinnati would want Chase because he's played with Burroughs? Don't you think they would take him? They are they could, but they already have great wide receivers, too. They have T. Higgins. They have Boyd. Both of them are good players. They need and a line. They, and look, they have Jonah Williams, who they drafted two years ago. He's a good player, right? But is he a left tackle in the NFL? Yeah, I'm positive about that. It's John, you need but, five linemen. <laughs> well, correct. That, too. And Bobby well, Hart. Troy, Troy, do, do you remember yeah, Bobby yeah. Hart? Oh please! He's been starting an offensive tackle for them for three, straight, like two straight years. Horrible. So they right they they need a new one. So it's yeah, yeah, to me, yeah. it's either Penny Sewell or it's a you know Jamar Chase, whomever, mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts. Take your pick. Well, put it this way: What happens if Pitt is still there? Pitts is still there, and uh, at seven, nobody took him at six, and he's there. Would you move up from eleven? To seven, to get him. How many? Well, I don't think Detroit's taking him. How many of the wide receivers are left? Uh, probably two. That I'm not, because I feel good that one of those three players will be there for me at eleven. And to move to seven, I'm losing my second round pick, and then probably something else as well. And I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to do that because the Giants have too many needs that I. Need I to agree go. with you, John. All right, then you then I see to me. If he is that special, I, I, we should be willing to do that. No, but Charlie, here's and, the thing. Uh, Devontae Smith could be the third best wide receiver in the league. I, yeah, but he, I don't know. To me, Pitts, Pitts is like, he's just a, he's a, he's, he's a specimen. He's well, a, Charlie, he's, hold on a second. All right. Kyle Pitts, yeah. just in an example. Yeah. Let's say he hits his peak and he is literally the living incarnation of Travis Kelsey. Okay, the living incarnation yeah. of Travis Kelsey. That's who he is. But let's say Devontae Smith is the living incarnation of uh, Calvin Ridley, just to give you an example, right? Yeah, yeah, Kelsey's better, but is it worth trading a second and third round pick to go from Calvin Ridley to Travis Kelsey? 
Yeah, because no, Kelsey is a is a better red zone guy, and Ugh. this he would be an incredible red zone guy. He would be a guy who could go over the middle. He could be a guy who would always get that 50-50 ball. He'd be a guy who could be on the outside. He could be slot. He could be on inside. I mean, this. I mean, to me, this guy is which could do so many more things. It'd be a matchup nightmare. And besides, he could make Ingram so much better. Wait, wait, wait. Hold so, on. Why, 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 why would why would Pitts make Ingram better, but a top wide receiver wouldn't? Because you're looking at a guy who's playing the same position, a guy so? who's you know the same size, and you're so? watching this guy not drop a ball. It would probably inspire oh, you don't, to don't get on use that, that word. Machine. Don't use that word. You know the oh. only thing, Charlie. Charlie, the only leg you have to stand I'm on. I'm not having that to, debate again about inspi- about inspiration. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. In, in, in making that that argument that that Pitts could make Ingram better in a different way than a receiver could, the only leg you have to stand on, John, and I don't know that I agree with it, but at least it has some logic. And that is, if you're going to go with a two tight end set, which I've been proposing now for how many weeks? You know, you know, you look at the old. A Gronk Hernandez Patriots model, and I've been talking about this, and I continue to say it. You've got these two tight ends. It allows you to use a lot of deception because the defensive coordinator's got to worry about, well, what are they doing with these two guys? Is one guy in the slot? Is the other guy in the yeah, slot? Are think, they both going to line up in the opposite slot? I think that helps the offense more than it helps Ingram as a individual, though. You know what well, I mean? Well, here's, here's how it helps because now if you're creating match-up dilemmas – for the defense, they're not going to necessarily have the right personnel on the field. Okay, I'll buy and that. And therefore, you're now getting a better matchup for not only Pitts, but maybe also for Ingram. So, you know what I'm saying? Because now, if, if let's just say you're in a sub, you're a defensive coordinator, you're in a sub, and you're going to say, all right, listen, I'm going to sub package, and I'm going to send my, 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 um, my roving uh, safety pseudo linebacker over to handle Pitts. Well, that means... What do you got covering Ingram? How did you like my Devontae Smith-Calvin Ridley comparison? I use it because both guys are pretty slight, right? Calvin Ridley is a pretty skinny guy, too. And that's yeah. why I use it. They're both from Alabama. Yeah, but Smith... See, on the, of the four guys, Smith is my lowest guy. He's number four for me of the four well, impact I'm offensive not, players. I'm not making it easy on you. Well, he's my number four. Well, no, I think I'd like Ridley better than Smith. Okay. But, but, but you know, in my order, it's Pitts, Chase... Waddle, Smith. And if Smith is the only guy left, I understand. And if they take him, I just hope he stays healthy. Is it more health for you? Or is it more how his body affects the way he plays? It's durability. Yeah, it's mm. durability. I'm, I am, I, it, is, it is a flag for me. It is a yellow flag. You know how sometimes these really skinny guys just figure out a way to stay healthy, though, right? You know they what's can. weird sometimes with that? They can. This is why I still believe that his talent level requires him to be in that elite four-person uh, shelf. Right. It does. I understand that. I'm not questioning his ability. I know you're Please. Not. I don't want anybody to think that I don't think he's a great player I think he's a terrific prospect I am worried about his durability and that means either a his ability to practice every day um, his ability not to miss games uh, and also like you said style of play well you know what guy gets racked around and you know hit around like a pinball all of a sudden maybe he's not so eager to run some of those routes 
Maybe he's not going after a ball as hard. He's got alligator arms, and he starts dropping passes and losing concentration because he's tired of getting twisted like a pretzel. Those things bother me, John. 973-667-1960. Let's go back to the phones. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, hi. This is Phil from North Carolina. Phil, what's hi. up? Hey, guys. Um, thanks for the show. Hey, I just wanted to add my two cents, and I know you covered it, but uh, I was I was uh, a little upset yesterday. He was uh, John the Mendenhall passed away. He was, you know, one of my favorite players in the earlier days. I I go back to remembering, uh, you know, the disastrous years of '65 and '66, and mm-hmm. and we finally got respectable for a chunk when we got uh, Fran there. And we had some decent players, and and uh, you know, and that tells you the importance of a quarterback. Because when Frame was there, you know, basically we were a 500 team for those five years, and then he left, and and the defense was still very good, but just the offense couldn't, you know, was a disaster. So uh, with the quarterbacks we had, but just a great, just a great player. And a great hustler and and uh, a good good giant. So kudos to to thank you for uh, John for your playing time with the Giants. Um, hey, I still go back to the draft. I still go back to if one of those pre- premier offensive tackles are there. Um, I'm in on that. Well, here's the question uh, though: there, there might there might only be one premier offensive tackle. A lot of people view the other guys a lot differently. Yeah, you you think he's gonna you think he's gone yes. to Cincinnati at three? Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, either it's Cincinnati or somebody else. Offensive yeah. tackles like Penay Sewell do not get out of the top ten. No, they don't. When they're yeah. that good, they don't. Yeah, so I think that what that means for us is, you know, I'm and I'm not really, you know, I wish we had two second round picks. To be honest, That'd be nice. I take the, <laughs> I take the wide receiver. How about three? I take the wide receiver <laughs> Greedy, huh? and the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, three. And and the offensive tackle there. And even the defensive end. That would be the sweet spot for all three. Yeah, of Phil, I'll ones. tell you. I think that second-round pick value could be great. Whether it's a wide receiver, I think one of those edge rushers could be there as a potential high-ceiling pick in the second round. I'm with you. I think any of those spots could be good, and so could offensive tackle. I love where the Giants are in that second round, which is why, by the way, I'm still, if all those guys are gone that we like, I'm still on team trade down. If I can grab another early to mid-second round pick and still, you know, move down six, seven, eight spots and get another good player in the first yeah. round, I'd be all for that, man. We, we talked about that, Phil, last week on the program, and we surmised that the, that the Giants moved down with uh, New England. I think it's 17, right, John? It 15. Would ca- They're 15, New England. Uh, was it 15? Yeah, New England's 15. We surmised that New England would have to give the Giants a two. But they don't have a two, right? Wasn't that the problem? It was one of those teams oh, we talked we about say? didn't have we, a two. We, you know what? Go back to the archive. We had, <laughs> we had a bunch of trades that we were, we were working on, and, and it was designed to try to get the Giants an extra two or a three. But, I mean, hey, here, here's the bottom line, Phil, okay? Between free agency and the draft, the Giants need to come up. My magic number, and I do this every year, my magic number right now is four. The Giants need to come out of the draft and free agency with four guys who will see significant playing time on this year's roster for them to be a playoff team. Yeah, I'd buy, I'd buy that. And uh, that's doable. That's a good analogy. Yeah. That's doable. But I, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm not really crazy about 
the 11th spot if Pitts is not there. I mean, that's the only person I would be happy with, to be honest, if that tackle is gone. And I'm all for, you know, going down. And hopefully Judge will have, you know, some of that effect on Dave. I know Dave hates to go down. And uh, and hopefully Judge will get him to, you know, say, look at the wisdom and say, hey, we can get another, you know, two – Two picks in the second round. Let's go for it. So, uh, anyway, I'll listen off the air, and thanks for your show, guys. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate the call. And, of course, you need a team that's going to want to trade up, too, which is really the trick. So, yeah. are one of those quarterbacks still going to be there? And I'm hearing more and more noise, Paul, and I know, you've, you've, I know you're fully on board with this. Two things that I'm hearing more noise on, and you just heard Eric say it, too. He's got J.C. Horn right with those other guys, Paul, at cornerback. Yeah. One. And then the other thing I'm hearing is that – Trey Lance might be a little too risky for some people's blood, given his and we've talked about this on the show endlessly, just his lack of experience and lack of polish in terms of the way he plays the position, where he might scare some people off a little bit in that top ten area. Yeah, John, I, I'm committed that there'll be three in the top ten, three quarterbacks. I think that Fields and Wilson will go. I'm I'm thinking that more and more people are on my side of the fence with Lance and that it is too much of a projection and he probably won't go in the top 10. So does Jones three, though then jump him? What uh I think Mac Jones could jump him. Yes, I do. I think that if he would for me. Like I'm, top, I'm, I'm top, not pulling punches. Top 10 jump, top 12 top jump. Top 10? No, 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 no. I think I think that Mac Jones is going to be overdrafted somewhere probably the mid to late first round. But I, I think, truthfully, in my mind, he's probably a, a second-round value. But, you know, it is what it is. My, my, my issue right now, though, John, is if it's going to be three quarterbacks in the top ten, then that enhances the chances of the Giants, uh, you know, being held with the bag in terms of trying to get one of those offensive impact guys because that's one fewer quarterback that would move people down. Paul, good stuff today, my friend. Yeah, it's fun. A lot of fun. Tomorrow, Lance and I will have Jeff Risden, and then Paul Feigs and I on Friday will have Dane Brugler. I'm working on Thursday, Paul. I'm trying to get Jason uh, Fitzgerald, who runs the shop over at Over the Cap, to kind of talk about the yeah. incoming salary cap and stuff. That'll you know, we usually try to do one spot like that at the combine, sure we so we try to yeah, mix it up a little bit. So I'm working on that. Um, we will have somebody on Thursday. I'm just not sure who. I'm kind of in the process. And things are going slow this week because I'm not sure if I told you yet, Paul. But uh, daycare, or at least my kids' class, got shut down for two oh! weeks. So I've been – I've been, Yeah, thank you. I, I <laughs> truly do appreciate that, actually. So I've been playing daddy plus host plus worker for the past, you know, day and a half, and I'm already just freaking exhausted. I got so, you. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Stay awake for the Knicks tonight, will you? I will do my best. Paul, good stuff, my friend. All right, be well, John. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Lance and I comes your way. Remember, folks, Big Blue Kickoff Live and the Giants Huddle Podcast is part of the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our podcasts on the Giants Podcast Network, which is on Giants.com slash podcast, your favorite podcast platforms, and on the Giants mobile app. For Paulie Dots and Eric at home, I am John Schmelk. We'll see you next time, everybody. Stay safe out there.